And what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be all over Scripture this morning with this topic, but I'm going to start with Psalm 19, verse 14 here in a second. So if you want to turn your Bible to that verse, that's where we'll start. We're continuing our series on the building blocks of a godly home. This morning, we're going to look at the fifth building block of a godly home, and that is called constructive communication. At the center of every healthy marriage, at the center of every healthy family, is the ability of husbands and wives and parents and children to successfully communicate with each other. The definition of communication is this. The process of sharing information with another person in such a way that the sender's message is understood as he intended it. Unless the sender and receiver have come to a common meaning, they have not communicated effectively. A woman went to court and she told the judge she wanted a divorce. Do you have any grounds, the judge asked? Just two acres, she replied. That's not it, lady. Do you have a grudge? No, we parked the car in front of the house. Frustrated, the judge, the judge continued, does your husband beat you up? She replied, no, I get up before he does. <laughs> then why do you want a divorce, the judge inquired, because the wife confessed we just aren't able to communicate. I think we see the problem in that relationship is a lack of being able to communicate constructively and effectively. But if you want to communicate effectively, you have to understand what the other person is saying. We experienced this issue in our home yesterday. Perfect timing for our message illustration. Joni and Luke and I were putting up our above ground pool and if you want to try your patience, if you want to test your love, do something like this as a family. But as we were putting it up, we were all on different sides of the pool and Joni yells out, fix your end. We, she didn't specify what end. She didn't specify who was to fix their end. So Luke and I both began fixing our ends, and she says, not you, you. <laughs> we were still confused because we still didn't know who she was talking to. Joni was getting frustrated. We were getting frustrated. And finally, Luke said, who are you talking to? And Joni said, you. <laughs> so we finally understood. And at some point, Joni said this. This is like the Three Stooges trying to put up a pool. <laughs> but you know what? We survived. The pool was still standing when we left this morning, and we still love each other. At least we did this morning. But communicating is not easy. But even though communication is not always easy, it is essential. Because in order for a relationship to exist, in order for things to get done, there has to be communication. One author said this, communication is fundamental to a Christ-centered home because it is the means by which a husband-wife relationship and parent-child relationship is established, grows, and maintained. Apart from the open channels of truthful communication, there can be no truly Christ-centered home. There is no doubt that communication is the lifeblood of any relationship. It is through communication that we relate to each other, that we get to, to know each other, and in marriage, in the home, failure to properly communicate will be a major source of difficulty. In fact, marriage counselors say that 80% of all marital problems are rooted in poor communications. 80% of all the problems are experienced in the home is a result of poor communication. 
And one of the main reasons for divorce is this issue of communication. And get this, married couples spend an average, and this blew my mind, 28 minutes per week talking to each other. Married couples spend an average of 28 minutes a week, not a day, talking to each other. That's an average of four minutes a day. However, they spend 46 hours a week watching TV. And we wonder why homes are struggling. We wonder why marriages are in trouble. It's because of this lack of communication. If the purpose of communication is to get to know each other and to relate to each other, and we only spend four minutes per day talking to our spouse or talking to our children, our home, our marriage will not be what God intends for it to be, and there will be difficulty in the home. You know, I've come to realize that we make time for what's important. If you value the TV, if you value working in the yard, if you value your interest and your hobbies more than talking to your spouse or your children, what it demonstrates is your family is not as important as these other things, and your family is not a priority. And if you can't communicate with your spouse, you cannot have a healthy relationship with your spouse. If you can't communicate with your children, you can't have a healthy relationship with your children. And if children can't communicate with their parents, children can't have a healthy relationship with their parents. Without constructive communication, no relationship can exist. And if we want to know how to communicate, there's only one place we need to look, and that's the Word of God. The Bible teaches us so much about communication. I did a Google search on what does the Bible say about communication. The Open Bible website produced 10 pages of Scripture. Why did God want to put so much in Scripture about communication? Because when we think about it, God himself, the author of Scripture, is the great communicator. How did he create the heavens and the earth? By communicating. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Throughout Scripture, God communicated with His people and He communicates with us through His written Word, through the living Word, Jesus. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, The Word became flesh. God also communicates with us through His Holy Spirit. And because God is the great communicator, and since we are made in His image and we are to imitate God, we are to be godly in our communication as well. This morning, I want to share with you from Scripture five principles of constructive communication that you need to follow if you want to have and build a godly home. And as I share these principles this morning straight from Scripture, I want you to examine your life and examine your home and see if these principles actually exist. The first thing, to constructively communicate, you must have a righteous heart. You must have a righteous heart if you want to constructively communicate. Psalm 1914, which is the key verse in all this, says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In this verse, David not only asked for his words to be righteous, but he also asked that the meditations of his heart be pure and acceptable to God. Because David understood that in order for his words and his thoughts to be acceptable to God, his heart had to be right with God. 
Jesus taught that the heart is the source of our words. Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Matthew 15, 18 and 19, Jesus said, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a man. For from the heart come evil thoughts. Jesus was saying that all of our communication begins in our heart. Jesus was saying that we speak from the inside out. And what we speak reveals what our heart is full of. If our heart is full of bitterness, if our heart is full of anger, then the words we speak will be full of bitterness and full of anger. If our heart is full of grace, if our heart is full of mercy, if our heart is full of love, if our heart is full of Christ, then we will speak words of grace and words of mercy and words of love and we will speak like Christ. And remember this, our heart always wins. If your heart is not right with God, you can't constructively communicate with your spouse or your children or your parent or for that matter, anyone else. And this is why it's so important, as Paul said in Romans 12, 13, 14, to clothe ourselves, to put on Christ daily. He says this, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. You see, putting on Christ, being clothed in Christ, it reveals the transformation that has taken place in our lives as a result of the relationship that we have with Jesus. And when Jesus changes us, when Jesus comes into our lives, he changes everything about us, including our speech. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new perspective. And instead of having a worldly mindset, we will have a godly mindset Instead of living a life of disobedience to God, we will desire to live a life of obedience to God. And in our communication, in our conversations, instead of satisfying the desires of the flesh, we will satisfy the desires of God. Now, when we engage in conversation with our spouse or our children, sometimes these conversations can be intense. And it can be tempting to say something that we shouldn't say. But before we say anything, we need to ask ourselves, is what I am about to say pleasing to God? Because everything we do, including our speech, is to bring glory and honor to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Our mouth just does not speak on its own. Our mouth is directed by our heart. And good words cannot overcome an evil heart. Good words cannot come from a wicked heart. Righteous words, godly words, can only come from a righteous heart and a heart that is right with God. And if we want our communication to be pleasing to God, then the words we speak must come from a righteous heart, from a heart that is committed to Christ. And if our heart is right with God, if we're pursuing God, if we're passionate about God, our speech will not only be pleasing to Him, but also be pleasing to others. And when God is the source of our communication, when God is the means of our communication, and when God is the goal of our communication, we will build a godly home. So where does constructive communication in the home begin with? It begins with a righteous heart that is seeking God. The second thing, excuse me, I want to say is you must be swift to hear and slow to speak. 
If you want to communicate constructively, you must be swift to hear and slow to speak. Constructive communication involves both speaking and listening. James 1.19, James wrote, My dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Before we speak, we must listen. So not only is what we say important, but how we listen is just as important. And unfortunately, listening skills are either neglected or they're rarely taught. And listening is not passive. Listening is active. Listening is the foundation of good communication. Because to be a good communicator, to be a good listener, you have to be an active participant in the conversation. You have to show interest when someone is talking to you. You need to look at someone when they're talking to you. Now, it is well documented that that men and women have very different communication needs. The average man speaks 7,000 words a day. The average woman speaks about 20,000 words a day. You ever wondered why women talk a lot more than men and wives than husbands? There's actually a biological explanation for this. Researchers at the University of Maryland School of Medicine conducted a study and found women's brains have higher levels of language protein called FOXP2. And what we need to remember when it comes to listening is God gave us two ears and God gave us one mouth. He wants us to listen twice as much as we speak. And if we do not actively listen to what someone is saying to us, we will not know how to respond. So listening is such a huge part of communication, especially for husbands as wives speak three times as many words Per day. And guys, if you wonder why wives talk so much, there is a biological explanation for it. Just remember that. But how often, husbands, are we guilty of watching TV and our wife is speaking to us and we act like she's not even there? Because we are more interested in what we're doing, what we're watching, than what she is saying. And when she finishes, she says something like this. Didn't you hear a word I just said? And if we're honest, we'll admit it and say, nope, didn't hear a word. But if we're dishonest, we'll act like we heard something and we'll say, well, of course I heard every word you said. And then here comes the dreaded question. Then what did I say? Then we try to make something up, hoping that something we said is somewhat resembles the conversation that she was trying to have with us. And I'm as guilty as anyone else of trying to make something up, just hoping I I got something right in what was said to me. A husband and wife were at a gathering. They were chatting with some friends, and the subject of marriage counseling came up. And, oh, we'll never need that, this one guy said. He said, my wife and I have a great relationship. She was a communications major in college, and I majored in theater arts. He continued, she communicates well, and I act like I'm listening. How many of us guys are guilty of acting like we're listening? That's called fake listening. And if you want to be a good listener, you need to block out the distractions. You need to give your spouse and your children your undivided attention. Also, when we're engaged in a conversation, we're not to focus on rehearsing what we say next. 
How often do we do that? We're trying to think of our response before the other person has even finished talking. That's called selfish listening. Proverbs 18.2 says this, A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. Proverbs 18.13, The one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace for him. If you focus on what you're going to say before the other person is finished speaking, you are not really listening to them. You're more focused on yourself than on them. And just don't act like you're interested in a conversation. We need to be interested in that conversation. We need to be interested in what people are saying. And we're also guilty of selective listening. We only hear what we want to hear. We pick and choose what we want to hear. We listen reluctantly. And to really listen to your spouse, to really listen to your child, to really listen to your parent, you must concentrate on what they are saying. You have to give them their un, your undivided attention. There can't be the rolling of the eyes or the turning away or the shaking of the head or the scrolling on the phone or, or the closed body posture or looking away or crossing of arms. You need to listen with the desire to understand. Because the more you listen to your spouse, the more you listen to your children and actually engage in conversation with them, the more you will get to know them. You hear this, well, I don't know my children very well. I don't know my spouse very well. Well, how often do you really communicate with your spouse? How often do you really listen to your spouse and, and have those conversations with them? And not only are we to be a good listener, we're to be a good speaker. Jesus didn't say, Scripture doesn't say don't speak. It says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. So we are to speak. But we need to be a, a good speaker, a godly speaker when we do speak. And we need to choose our words wisely. And one way to choose your words wisely, and this comes from counseling, premarital counseling I do for couples. I use this example with them. We need to use I statements instead of you statements. Instead of saying, you didn't tell me you were running late. Say something like, I get anxious when you don't tell me you're running late. Instead of saying, you're such a slob, you just expect me to clean up after you. Say, I get confused and hurt when you leave the clothes on the floor because I thought I communicated how important it was that you put them in the laundry basket. Now, it's easier to say the you statements. It's a lot harder to say the I statements. Why? Why do we encourage couples to use I statements and not you statements? Because I statements reduce hostility. I statements reduce defensiveness. I statements diffuse the situation, whereas you statements, they provoke anger, and they can escalate a situation instead of de-escalating it. And it's not only the words we say that matter. That's not what we need to understand. It's how we say them, and it's how we listen it's our tone, it's our body language, it's our behavior, it's our attitude. Words make only 7% of our communication. Body language makes up 55% of our communication. And our tone makes up 38% of our communication. 93% of our communication, of what we want to express, what we want to say, is body language and tone. Only 7% is words. 
So constructive communication involves being swift to listen and slow to speak. And when we are swift to listen and slow to speak, you know what the result will be? End of James 1.19, you will be slow to become angry. The third thing I want to point out about constructive communication, you must know when to speak and when not to speak. There are times when it's best to not say anything. And there are times when we need to speak up. Psalm 141.3 says, Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. David asked God to guard his mouth, to guard his words. He wanted to be careful about the words that he spoke. Proverbs 13.3 says, The one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. Proverbs 17, 27 and 28, the intelligent person restrains his words and one who keeps a cool head is a man of understanding. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. Proverbs 21, 23, the one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Proverbs 29, 20, do you see a man who speaks too soon? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Scripture has a lot to say about this topic of knowing when to speak and knowing when not to speak. And like David, we need to ask God to guard our mouths. We need to ask God to help us be careful with our words because this will keep us out of a whole lot of trouble if we learn when to speak and when not to speak. If your spouse or your child is vending, maybe they had a rough day at work or school, The worst thing you can do is say something, why are you making such a big deal out of nothing? I just need think you need to suck it up and get over it. You see, even though you may want to say that, that's probably not the best time to say it. Probably not the thing to say. And I was taught growing up, if you can't say anything nice and all, don't don't say it at all. And sometimes it's best to say nothing at all and just listen. Because by just listening, you know what you're communicating? By just listening, you're communicating that you care. And what spouses and children need to know more than anything is that they're cared for and they're loved. And if you don't talk to your spouse and listen to your spouse, and if you don't talk to your spouse and listen to your children, then they will find someone who will talk to them. And they will find someone who will listen to them. And then there's the saying, you might as well say it if you think it. That is so false from being true. Just because you think it doesn't mean you should say it. We need to understand our words matter. Our words have value. And the way we show our words matter, the way we show that our words have value is we know when to speak and when to be quiet. And in our culture today, the ability to communicate is so much more than just speaking words. Growing up, we had three ways to communicate. Over a landline was one way. Another way was writing notes or cards or letters. And the third way was face-to-face. Today, we live in a culture where there are so many more ways to communicate. Words can be sent through texting, through email, through social media, and even through video game systems. But regardless of how our words are spoken, regardless of how our words are written, regardless of how our words are sent, once they are out, they are out for good and there is no getting them back. There is no such thing as a deleted text. There is no such thing as the deleted uh, social media post. 
There is no such thing as a deleted email. Because I promise you, if you send something out that's hurtful, if you send something out that is wrong, somebody's going to take a picture of it. Or somebody's going to save that email or save that text. And that may not come back to haunt you then, but at some point in your life, it may come back to bite you. Sometimes we need to practice restraint. Sometimes we need to hold our tongue and think before we speak because by opening our mouth, we'll only make matters worse and we'll get ourselves in trouble. James 1.26 says, if we don't tame our tongue, then our religion is worthless. James said, if we don't restrain our tongue, if we don't tame our tongue, then our faith, our religion is worthless. Wives and moms, what happens if your husband or kids come home one day, they take a look at the house or the kitchen and say something like this, well, what'd you do all day? You know what they're implying? That you did absolutely nothing. And kids and husbands, that's probably not a wise thing to say anyway. And admittedly, that would be a time to be quiet. But if that was spoken to you, how would you respond? With grace? Or would you speak your mind? And it's probably best not to say anything at all in that situation because what you would say is probably not going to be nice at all. And I'm sure this has not happened to many parents, but what if your child suddenly informs you they needed to be somewhere 10 minutes ago and they needed a form filled out and they needed money and and they needed all these things and you're in the middle of something and they have to be somewhere and they just told you. Will grace win or will you let them have it? You see, Psalm 1019 says this, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but who restrains his lips is wise. Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but who who restrains his lips is wise. The more words we use, the the more we speak, the more trouble we're likely to get into. Here's a dilemma, though. James 3, 8 says, No man can tame the tongue. If we can't tame our tongue, who can? If we can't tame our tongue, how do we practice restraint that Scripture speaks of? Only through God and His Holy Spirit can you tame your tongue. Can you restrain your words? You can't do it yourself. Why? Because I promise you, if you try to do it yourself, your flesh will always win. We must allow God to guard and direct what we say. And the way we allow God to control our words is by doing what 2 Corinthians 10.5 says when Paul says that we are to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Why? Because every word we say begins with a thought. And if we allow Christ to filter our thoughts, then he will be able to guard our mouth and tame our tongue. So when we start thinking about what we say before we actually say it, We should ask ourselves, is this something that Jesus would say? Is this something that that Jesus would make known? Is this something that Jesus would express? Or maybe we should say, what would Jesus say in this situation? You see, when we use Christ as our filter, the words we speak will be the words of God, will be the words that he wants us to speak, and not the words that we want to speak. Now, there are times we need to speak absolutely. The two most important times for a husband and wife and parent and children are the first four minutes of the day and the last four minutes of the day. These eight minutes, they say, are crucial to any marriage, to any home, as they set the tone for the day and the evening. 
The moment you wake up and encounter your spouse and your child, those should be words of affirmation, words of conversation, to show that you care about your spouse and your child. Those minutes when you reunite at the end of the day, those first four minutes you see them after they, they come home and have finished their day, that four minutes is crucial to set the tone for the rest of the evening. You need to show that you were interested in what happened in the day of your spouse. You need to show that you were interested in what happened in the day of your child. And Scripture says in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, another time we need to speak is, is before we go to bed, if we're angry with each other. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 26 and 7, he said, Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or your anger, because if you do, you will give Satan a foothold. If you're struggling in your marriage, if you have issues you need to discuss, Scripture says don't sleep on them. Scripture says don't put them off. Scripture says take care of them as soon as you can. We also need to speak when spoken to. We are not to ignore our spouse. We are not to ignore our children when they are speaking to us. We are not to be so busy that we don't have time to engage our family in conversation. And we need to speak to our families and to our spouses and our children and our parents more than anyone else. You show you love your spouse. You show you love your children by having conversations with them and by knowing what to say and when to say it. And like David said in Psalm uh, 1914, we need to desire to be careful about the words we speak by asking God to guard our mouths and to guard our words. The third thing, we must speak words of healing and not hurt. We need to speak words of healing and not hurt. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs fifteen four says, The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks or crushes the spirit. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Scripture makes it very clear that a word should be used to build each other up. And we should not use our words to tear each other down and that our words should not be used as a weapon. When we speak words to someone, they should not feel like that they have been pierced with a sword. Instead, our words should bring healing. Our words should bring comfort. Our words should be, bring affirmation to our spouse and our children. But unfortunately, most people in the world really don't care what their words do or don't do. They just think they have the freedom and they want the freedom to say whatever they want and they don't care about the consequences that their words may have. And we need to understand our words have consequences. And before we say anything, we need to think about if we are going to say is going to build someone up or if what we're going to say is going to tear someone down. You know, there's that saying when I was growing up, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt me. Whoever came up with that had no idea about the weight of words. 
They didn't understand the damage that words can do because people have hurt themselves. People have taken their own lives because of what someone said to them or about them. Words stick with a person for a lifetime. You know, people can get over a punch. People can get over bruises. But someone may never get over what was said to them. And if your husband and your wife or your children can't be encouraged by the words spoken in your home, they certainly are, go- are not going to find it in the world. A godly home is to be different from the world. And you shouldn't say things to your spouse like, I wish I would have ne- never married you. You shouldn't compare your spouse to someone else. Why can't you be like so-and-so's husband or wife? You shouldn't belittle or insult their career. Can't you get a real job? Shouldn't make them feel dumb. I told you so. We shouldn't be overly sarcastic. Do I look like the maid or, or that grass is not going to mow itself? We shouldn't be their biggest critic. You can't do anything right. We shouldn't bring up the past. We'll remember when you. We shouldn't tell our kids things like you're not going to amount to anything. Or I wish you were like your brother or your sister. Or I wish you were never born. You say, do parents say things to their kids like that? Absolutely. I've heard stories. I've heard kids tell me that those exact words were told to them by their parents or by a teacher or by a coach. Someone that they thought loved them. Someone they thought that could encourage them. Someone they trusted. Instead of using words to build them up, they used words to tear them down. Or maybe your child makes a 90 on a test and you, they bring that to you thinking you're going to give them all this acclamation and, and praise them for doing well. And what's the question out of our mouths? Well, can't you do better? Maybe they did their best. You see, these words will do nothing to help our relationship with our spouse or our children. But they will definitely hurt our relationship with them. These words are destructive, not constructive. These words destroy. These words crush. These words stir up anger. And in the home, the majority of fights and quarrels would never begin if couples and families spoke words that build up instead of speaking words that tear down. And I want to encourage you to be your spouse's and your child's biggest supporter. Be their biggest fan. Be their biggest encourager. Treat them with respect. Treat them with compassion. Show them grace. Show them mercy. Show them the love of Christ. And speak words of affirmation. Speak words of affection. Speak words of security. Speak words that are soft and words that are not harsh because these words tear down walls. But if you use words that are harsh, they will build barriers. Speak life into your spouse. Speak life into your children by using words that build them up. By using words that heal and not hurt and words that honor Christ. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And speaking words of affirmation, speaking words of affection, It will make a huge difference in your family. It will make a huge difference in your home. The last thing I want to share 
is you must speak the truth in love. You must speak the truth in love. Godly communication is done in truth, and it's done in love. Ephesians 4.15, Speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ. Psalm 37.30, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, his, st- his tongue speaks what is just. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Whenever we communicate, and how we communicate should reflect Christ. And if we want to speak the truth in love, if we want to speak Jesus into the lives of others, we have to know the truth and we have to saturate our lives with the truth. And to speak the truth is to be honest. To speak the truth is to be up front in our communication with our spouse, with our parents, with our children. We are not to be deceptive. We are not to distort the truth. We are not to lie. And sometimes, guys, our wives put us in a difficult situation. The dreaded question, how does this look on me? That is a loaded question that may require a lot of prayer. But you know what? We need to be honest. Because if we're not honest, somebody else is going to be honest and they're not going to like what we had to say and we're going to be in trouble when we were trying to be nice. Sometimes Joni will ask me about a meal she's fixed, especially if she makes something new or changes a recipe. She'll say, how was it? If I don't like it, which I will say is not very often, I've learned to be honest. I'll say something like, well, it's not my favorite. She would say, well, I can tell you didn't like it. And I would think, whoo, what a relief. Run to the garbage can, dispose of my meal. No, not really, but, but I spoke the truth, but I did it in love. I couldn't lie. She could tell I didn't like it. I wasn't enjoying it. And if I spoke the truth but didn't speak it in love, I would say, that was awful, and you are such a horrible cook. I wish you could cook like my mother. I would never say those things because I would never eat again, number one. And number two, I wouldn't be alive. You see, when you look at the life of Jesus, he not only spoke the truth, but he spoke it in love. And because we are to follow his example, we are to speak the truth and do it in love. And honestly, speaking the truth in love sounds easy, but it's not. Many of us are good at speaking the truth, but maybe not doing it in love. And some of us are good at loving, but we can't bring ourselves to be honest with others if the truth we need to share is going to be painful. God instructs us to do both. He instructs us to speak the truth. But he says, do it in love. There was a man who had a hard time speaking the truth in love. And he was the type of person, he couldn't just say anything graciously. And he and his wife, they owned a poodle and they loved this dog. It was the object of their affection. And his wife was taking a trip to another country and and she made it to New York on the first day. She called home and asked her husband. She said, how are things? He said, the dog's dead. Well, she was devastated. After collecting her thoughts, she asked, why do you do that? Why can't you be more gracious? He said, what do you want me to say? The dog died? She said, well, you can give it to me in stages. For example, you could have said the dog went out on the roof. And then when I traveled to London the next day and called, you could tell me, well, honey, the dog fell and had to be taken to the vet. And in fact, he's in the hospital and not doing well. And finally, when I call you from Rome, you could say, honey, brace yourself. Our dog died. 
I could handle that, she said. Husband paused and said, oh, I see. Then she asked, by the way, how's mother? He said, she's on the roof. (laughs) At least he learned his lesson. But if you love someone, you will speak truth into their lives. If you love someone, you'll be honest with them, but you'll do it in love. And sometimes you need to speak truth into the life of your spouse. Sometimes you need to speak truth into the lives of your children. And there may be times where children need to speak truth into the lives of their parents. Because if you don't speak truth into their lives, and if you don't do it in love, who will? Do we really want the world speaking truth into the lives of our children? Do we really want the world speaking truth into the lives of our family? I would say not. I would say we would want God, we would want Scripture speaking truth into the lives of everyone in our home. And if that's what we want, then we need to be willing to speak the truth in love. And show you love your spouse. Show you love your child by being willing to speak truth into their lives, but do it in love and do it out of love. Godly home. Godly relationships, they're built on godly communication. And godly communication, constructive communication, it begins in the heart for it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And if we are committed to Christ, if we desire to please Him, if we desire to honor Him with our words, and if God is the source and God is the means and God is the goal of our communication, then every word we say, we will be swift to hear and slow to speak. We will know when to speak and when not to speak. We will use words that heal instead of words that hurt. And we will speak the truth in love. And this morning, I want to challenge you to make a commitment to your spouse. To make a commitment to your parents. To make a commitment to your children. To construct your home. On communication that does nothing but bring glory and honor and praise to God. Make a commitment that your speech will be clear. That your speech will be concise. That your speech will be compassionate. That your speech will be considerate. That your speech will be Christ-like. And when you do this, you'll experience a home that has joy, that has peace. You'll be, have a home that is a light to the world. And you'll have a home that God is proud of. Maybe you're here this morning and if you're a follower of Christ, I just want you to think about what God's word has had to say about communication. And I want you to think about what is your heart full of this morning? Is your heart full of anger, bitterness, resentment? Or is your heart full of joy and grace and love and mercy and full of Christ? Because what your heart is full of is what you will speak. And I want you to think about the word you've used with your family this week. Were the words you've used with your spouse, were the words you've used with your children, with your parents, honoring and pleasing to God? Or were they critical and sarcastic and angry and accusatory? Or were they seasoned with grace? And did you use words to encourage and build up 
your family or discourage them and tear them down. And remember, we will have to give an account before God of every word that comes out of our mouths. And I want to give you a challenge this morning. Husbands, I want you to think about three things you can say about your wife to affirm her. Wives, I want you to think about three things you can say about your husband to affirm him. Parents, I want, to think, want you to think about three things you can say to your children to affirm them. And then children, I want you to think about three things you can say to your parents to affirm them. Or maybe you're single, I want you to think about three things you can say about a close friend or a co-worker or a parent to affirm them. And not just think about those, but then I want you to share them with that person. Maybe on the ride home or maybe at lunch today. And I promise you, when you do this, it will make a difference in their lives. And it will make a difference in your relationship. So if you're a Christian, I want to challenge you to make sure that your communication is godly and constructive. If you have never given your life to Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today because you can't communicate with God if you don't know God. And you can't have the home God wants you to have if you don't know Him. So if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I want to challenge you to make that decision this morning. Or maybe there's other decisions you need to make. Maybe you've received Christ, but you need to be baptized. Maybe God is calling you to make this church your church home, and you want to join Red House. Or maybe there are other things God is dealing with you this morning. This altar is open for you. And if you want to speak to me, I'll be out in front. And you can speak to me, and I'll pray with you if that's what you would like. But let's pray as we get into our time of commitment. Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for your truth. And Father, your word has so much to say about this topic of communication. And Father, you are the great communicator. You've communicated to us through your word. You've communicated to us through Jesus, the living word. You've communicated to us through your Holy Spirit. And Father, you want us to follow your word and follow your example of communication. And Father, help us to remember that how we communicate with others, it begins with a righteous heart. If our heart is not right with you, then the words that we speak are not going to be pleasing to you or to others. And Father, this morning, I pray that each one of us would examine our hearts to make sure that our hearts are right with you, Father. And then, Father, I pray that we would put into practice these principles of communication that you've shown us through your word, God. Help us to speak the truth in love, God. Help us to to be quick to listen and slow to speak, Father. Help us know when to speak and when not to speak. Help us to speak words that heal and words that not hurt. And Father, I just pray when we walk out of here this morning that our families, our homes, our lives would be different because of what you've shown us through your word this morning about how we are to talk to one another. God, we love you so much. And Father, we pray that the words of our mouth and the And our hearts, Father, would be pleasing to you. We love you. We praise you. We just ask that you would work during this time of commitment. If there are decisions that need to be made, I pray they would be made this morning. And Father, we just ask all these things in your most precious and holy name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.